<laughs> you're not white. <laughs> you you you're obviously brown, Punjabi. Was that a limiting factor, or was that something that aided you? Break out of that, um, like that stereotype of always being like, oh, she's just there with a bunch of guys, or she must be this type of this girl, or and stuff like that. And actually, like, that's really harmful, and that's really like a very narrow-minded, misogynistic like approach to to, to these things because I. I I take these things very seriously. It's my job. It's like the culture and the industry that I work in. I'm not, I'm not groupie. Me and my parents went out for, for dinner and my mum was like, just shocked. And she was like, look how thin the waitress is. Like as if it was a compliment. Hello and welcome to another episode of Smosa Chats. Today's guest is Amrit Matharu. How are you, Amrit? Hey, I'm good. Thanks, Preet. How are you? Yeah, you know, kick it in there. So BBC producer, broadcaster and model. Is that a fair summary of the type of stuff that you do? Yeah, I think so. I always get really like shy and like, oh my God, that's what I do when I hear that because sometimes it's a little bit like, it's a lot. I I have to remind myself that actually this is what I do. This is my job. This is where I've got. I always, I, I always start the episodes in the same way. And I do always think that I hate describing myself. Like <laughs> yeah. every, every time, every time I do a show, I'm like, yo, can you just introduce me? <laughs> I wouldn't say I cringe, but it's like, I think it's a little bit of that thing where we, you know, we're conditioned to always like put ourselves down a little bit or, or not, not get, not get gas for our own achievements, you know? Like, but yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that is you. So uh, with your career, so how did you get started? What was the first like sort of creative interest I guess you had even before the career? What was the first like your sort of interest early on? Um, I think when you say the word creative, I always just think that back to my childhood and really loving art and reading and all of those things. So I wasn't really like into playstation games or or things like that and i grew up with my sister so often we would and where we lived we didn't really have like friends around in our area to like just go and play out or, or knock on someone so's door because i lived in an area where there's a lot of old people <laughs> so we'd have to make up our own kind of games and stuff or like our own entertainment and i think we were just both quite creative um so that's where I guess my creativity sparked um whether it and then as I grew older it was like more into fashion and uh reading and obviously then I went away to university and studied English and then I eventually like published my dissertation and it became a book and things like that so that's where kind of all of that sparked and I think when you like pack it all together that's what um some of the, the reasons why I am creative is those triggers mm, yeah uh with with regards to like your career and stuff I guess um what where would you say was what was your first like quote unquote big break um I think it has to be uh working at the BBC like way before um I did join the BBC I used to work um in sort of publishing so with magazines and newspapers and all of that stuff I, I got through internships and work experience because it's a very hard career I will not lie to you to get into um, to suddenly it become your paid job it, it is really hard and I found it particularly hard because I was the first child of my immediate family to go to university no one studied English no one wanted this kind of career um, 
you know, most like my dad has his own business. My mum uh, has worked in finance for a lot of her life. Um, all of that stuff just seems like normal jobs to me but to everyone they all mean different things right and, and I just knew that's not a job that I wanted my dad used to tell me to do law because mm. I was good at English had a, a very good command of English and I was like what am I gonna do with law I'm not very I, I'm not I don't, I don't personally think I'm very argumentative or, and I can do all of that stuff I was like no I, I I thought I wanted to be a teacher because I was so into English at school like that's where a lot of my inspiration came from I thought I'll just go and be a teacher and at youth, that all changed. I um, always had this like passion for fashion. Hate that um, term, but that, <laughs> it's something I was very expressive in, in what I wore and, and how I dressed, and still am. Um, and I thought, oh, I could combine kind of that like element of like what I enjoy with my like my skills of English and become like a fashion journalist and I thought journalism was my route but I didn't know how to become a journalist despite even going to uni no one told me how that happens um so I kind of like foraged that career myself in a sense where I went off after university and started um working and publishing or tried to at least and everyone was telling me oh like you know publishing is so so done with now we're, we're coming into like the new age and that's when blogging and stuff had started and and everyone kept telling me to go and work in broadcast and tv and I just thought that was way too much of a serious jump I was like oh, I can't do that I didn't even know what that was um and and then I got a job in radio somehow and I didn't even know how I got that because I just started a youtube channel and I was doing like vlogs and and my own sort of stuff and blogging and I was so naive and thought that I could write a letter to the BBC, my local <laughs> BBC, and, oh, can you get a job? And the lady who was in charge of all of that stuff in, in, in the building got given my CV and was like, well, obviously that's not how it works because you have to apply for jobs. And um, she just invited me in and she said that was a really brave thing for you to do. And I kind of got put on her radar in that sense. And she she just kind of explained to me like, this is how it works and da da da. And she was like, why don't you go off? And she was like, you, you, you can work in radio. Like you've got a great um, like personality for it. And I was like, what? Real people can do that? I thought you had to already be famous or you had to like have, you know, like privileged families and stuff that get you just into it and I just did not know like how that would happen and, and she kind of taught me the basics of radio and I went off to volunteer in radio at my local stations um and through that I just kind of was in the right circles saw like different job advertisements go up etc etc and there we are I, I applied for uh, it was actually an internship that I did with the BBC through a program called Creative Access um, if anyone listens to this podcast and wants to get involved in anything media related check out Creative Access just google it and there's loads of different jobs that come up on there and they're all like paid internships and this was my first ever paid um, like learning job if you like and I was with the BBC for a year uh, and then that kind of equips you with the skills to be able to apply for jobs at the BBC and be in with a shot and that's that's where it all started so with um when how long ago was that nearly five years ago coming on six five, <laughs> all right. so so that's like a good time so you've kind of seen like the fruits of like your labor I guess it's almost like a little investment these like small time internships and like sort of the vlogs and stuff so you you invested smart into yourself but I'm sure that it wasn't quite as smooth as journey as you painted then. I'm sure you faced some challenges. Yeah. Uh, um, and I always used to think like, uh, 
my position like in terms of who I am and where I've come from didn't help me that's what I used that was a limiting factor I would put on myself like I used to think not being from London or a big city um and having like uh I don't know being well known or like some people just for nepotism or whatever because you're you've got a famous dad or someone who's well known in the industry and you you've almost got a lev- like a some leverage to to be given a platform and I didn't have any of that I had to really work for everything that that I've done and I used to just think all of those things would stop me um but don't if you're listening to this podcast and you you know you'd live in a little bender somewhere like I did in little Northampton or just in general like you just feel like you feel small you feel like you could you you know you've got this idea or this dream or you want to do something and you, and you can't don't let that be a factor you know believe in yourself that you can do it it sometimes it can be about networking and, and understanding like who to turn to and where to get advice but we're so lucky that we have the internet now you know a lot of my connections have come from me having an online platform to talk to people and uh, you know create these discussions a podcast like this pre I'm sure you've met so many people just through doing this and contacting them and communicating with them um I think we have to look at our like the op- these opportunities as like privileges and not something that puts us down with um speaking about privileges and things that put you down and uh, and things like that so obviously I mean it won't be a shock with a name like Amrit Mataru right <laughs> you're not white <laughs> you're, you're you're obviously brown Punjabi was that a limiting factor or was that something that aided you? Um, yeah, I used to think that um, I didn't stand a chance or anything or, you know, simply even when you're writing cover letters or your CV or something, you think, oh, someone's going to see that name and not take you seriously. Um, that was something that I thought about myself because I grew up in Northampton, which is a very white town. Um, and I just, I kind of used to think that I, I couldn't do it because all the other people got the jobs before me and things like that. But uh, I also knew at the same time so I when I applied for my internship and, and worked with the BBC it was with the Asian Network um I have an interest in radio media all of that stuff and it doesn't have to be Asian just because I am but and a lot of people used to think that oh you know you've got your job in an Asian sector now now go somewhere better um that that I that hurts me sometimes because I genuinely love our Asian culture, that pop Asian culture where, you know, I'm so excited about the next artist that's coming or whether it's fashion or whether it's film, TV, that kind of stuff. Like that's a big interest of mine and I enjoy it and I love it. And I'm, I'm really happy to work where I work and proud. So um, that used to be quite, I used to make me feel quite limited in terms of other people's reaction to that, but I'm good at my job. There's, I, I meet brown people that don't know any of that stuff and I do. So it's like, there's a reason I work in the field that I work in. <laughs> With um, with your sort of race and gender, I guess, and this, this is something that's quite um, topical at the moment. Um, this should go out tomorrow. So like with obviously like women's rights and stuff like at the forefront of news. Um, particularly, I, my interest has always been like with, <laughs> so, so that was gonna sound so weird. I was gonna say my interest has been with brown women. Uh, no, like with, sort of the challenges and stuff that you that brown women face and like brown and black women face I guess they will kind of fly under the radar sometimes did you face anything that was specific to those two identifiers um I think being being a brown woman working in sort of like the entertainment industry and things like that you can often be overlooked and thought like you know when when you're 
perhaps at a music gig or something like that, like my position there might be working, you know, like I, I might go to gigs for my own enjoyment, but then when I'm working at them and stuff like that, naturally you see people that you know or people from the industry and stuff. And it is quite a male dominated industry. Sometimes you can be thought of as like, you know, the, the girl that always hangs around or like a bit of a groupie or this, that and the other. And actually like, it's, it's quite hard to sometimes break out of that, um, like that stereotype of always being like, oh, she's just there with a bunch of guys or she must be this type of this girl or and stuff like that. And actually like, that's really harmful. And that's really like a very narrow minded misogynistic like approach to, to, to these things. Cause I, I take these things very seriously. It's my job. It's like the culture and the industry that I work in. I'm not, I'm not groupie. Like I, <laughs> I have like, credibility and a right to be there just as much as any guy would. Yeah, I, I could. So, yeah, I think that's some stuff that I think I've heard as well um, with no, not about you. That would be fucked up. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that would be, that'd be so fucked up. Like, yeah, I've heard that about you as well. No. Um, I mean, as in that stereotype and that trope being really prevalent, even in yeah. something as microcosmic as like the bongra industry, for example. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why it's so hard and so that's why we don't see so many like you know brown women making music successfully because they just get tarnished with this label or and it's just generally quite hard to power through when you have like all these strong males you know churning out music and and you're and as a female you're constantly being compared to or like pushed down because of that how do we go about like changing that because i think because we're obviously such a like a smaller community like brown people in general i feel like we've things that we do on an individual basis can actually have like a big impact is there anything firstly is there anything we can do and then secondly what is it I think like um I mean there's loads that we can do but I think firstly one of the biggest things that we're seeing change in is 2020 changed so much for us and how we think in terms of social movements and just the way we interact as humans in general and so much has been happening like recent this podcast is, is coming out very recently so all the stuff with like Sarah Everard and things like that that's happened recently in the in, in the, the media and the news and with it being so close to like International Women's Week and Mother's Day all of that stuff I think it's just put people in a position to understand what's actually happening these things shouldn't have to happen for us to understand but unfortunately it has and I think that it just means that we're, it, we're waking up to it. Just as we knew about Black Lives No Matter, it, it wasn't just a sudden movement that had happened. Something major happened for us to all wake up to it. And I think that's something, with, again, with the Sarah Everard case and, and all the other things that are going on and, and the media is putting a highlight on, that we all just need to wake up and understand this is happening and change our attitudes. What's happened has happened. And unfortunately, we can't change those things. But going forward, we can change our attitudes. Yeah, I, I I think that's I, I think that's a very important message because like, like yeah like this will come out tomorrow. So the Sarah Everard stuff, I think obviously what happened was horrible and it was disgusting and all of that. But I, I think society really unveiled itself with the not all men stuff. Like that, I like don't get me wrong. Like I love like sometimes I love being a contrarian, like thinking from the flip side and stuff. But I could not fathom, like, it, it just didn't make sense in my brain. And even, like, I, like I've, I, I'm 
fortunate enough that I know a lot, of, especially in the comedy world, like I know like a lot of women who are very vocal about women's rights and issues and stuff. And in their messages, they tweet something in support of it. And the first thing that somebody would think is like the male perspective and shit. And I was just like, as a dude, I was just kind of there. I was just like, yo, bro, shh, this isn't our one. Like, shh, just listen, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, and I think that's a really sensible attitude to take to it in terms of it's it's understanding the sensitivity and all of the stuff that comes with it. So, yeah, more power to you and understanding. <laughs> Thank you, Amrit. I mean, that's what it really is. It was just uh, fishing for compliments. I know I'm such a feminist. Like, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't understand, like, you know, with it just takes things like that for you to set an example. Like, and I always think with things like this, um, yesterday... I was posting stuff around Mother's Day um, and I posted a picture of my niece and I said, um, strong women, may we know them, may we be them, may we raise them. And it's the same for men. Like, may you be a strong man, but also a feminist man and know them, be them and raise them. Bruv, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think people either, and I'm a big believer in this, I think people are stupid. Like, I think a lot of people are stupid where they see something read it and they're like well they include everybody so that that means they're excluding everybody else so this is what i've got to speak up on it i'll speak up on it to my 200 followers or like or it's the other way where they intentionally like feel threatened and i i, I think this is probably the more prevalent one actually i think people feel threatened by movements where minorities whether that's black lives matter feminism whatever it is rising because it challenges the status quo and threatens their privileged position I like, even as a brown dude, I could, I, I could, you know, I'm quite a large brown dude. I, could, I, I can't relate to some of the issues that women were saying for them, like, you know, being scared at, in, in the evenings or hearing somebody behind them. Now I walk around with headphones in and shit. So like my time wasn't to start tweeting and shit then. My time was to just shut up, read, take into like consideration another person's point of view, you know, but like I said, I'm such a feminist. I'm um, very feminism is my thing. Uh, but moving on, so you you've got all of the media side of stuff as well. But um, you're a model too. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, that all kind of again just just happened, and I think a lot of the things that have just happened is because I have um, I have a platform and. I, I use that platform hopefully for some good and um, I used to just get like obviously being on Instagram and being into fashion and stuff I would stunt for the gram post a pic you know <laughs> and a lot I'd get a lot of comments from from women and, and things and saying like oh I love your style I love your confidence I love this oh I could never wear that and stuff and I'm like why why could you not and I remember like being at a wedding and somebody came up to me and just said you're so confident. I think I must have been like in the corner taking a picture or something or doing a, a boomerang twirl, uh, you know, one of those things. And, and I was like, oh, okay. okay. Like, I just thought that's just normal for me. Like, I, I just go about and do what I do because I want to do it. And then it, it dawned upon me that I thought that maybe women just don't have, like, people just don't have that confidence. And I was like, but I don't question my confidence. And I, I don't quite know where that's come from. I don't never always used to be so confident. Um, but I think I just got tired of, of, I don't need a validation for someone to say you're confident. Like that's lovely if you say it, thank you very much, but I don't, I don't need it. Like I, it, I just want to be it and I should, and you know, you shouldn't have to rely on someone to make you feel a certain way. 
um you know you are given your body you are given you and your personality uh, that's no one else's um so then I just kind of that's that's just kind of how I am that's how I've always been and um I got involved with a competition and became a face of yours which is a clothing brand and took part in so many of their campaigns and um and it's been really weird to get messages of people saying I was in the shop and I could see your like face on the billboard and things like that and it was if that was a really weird feeling but also a really important one I felt like you know we we talk about plus size a lot we hear about it a lot um often well you know the whole body positivity movement started with black women but you know you see a lot of these words in black and white spaces we don't really hear it being spoken about in the brown community so I feel really proud to be a face and someone you know when you when a lot of like girls from Instagram or something might, might hear my name or hear Amaretto's world they will you know associate me with that and a bit of positivity and I, and I hope that I can give that to people and make them feel that because you know that's your right you should be able to feel those things about yourself with um so you mentioned there that the, those views don't really or, or that movement didn't exist in brown circles what are the like the stereotypical beauty standards in the Asian community do you like how I asked that like I don't know it was yeah unprofessional um, very professional I don't know I just feel like you know with I spoke about this in a podcast recently actually like when we look at pop culture where we hear like you know R&B and hip hop music where they're talking about the thick thighs and and a curvy woman and 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 her ass and, and things like that in a way okay you you could look at it like is it being misogynistic and looking at women in that way but at the same time they're also celebrating it in some form right and when we were here sort of our Punjabi music I can only speak about Punjabi music because that's my like love but we we hear about the patalalak and the you know things like that which I think can be like quite damaging so when I used to hear music like that and my sister won't mind me saying this but when when we'd be at a party and luck 28 would come on she would just go sit down she would be like I don't like this song like it you know it, it would it would feel hurtful to her like why do we have to sing a song about someone who's luck is 28 I'm not <laughs> I'm not I'm not just saying this right so at Bongo Nights and stuff whenever I was there I despise that song that song <laughs> I didn't listen to a Deljeet track until Back to Basics because of that song. I could what? not deal with it. Chocolate? Don't you chocolate? Oh, bollocks to chocolate. That was not good enough to like overturn. That was not good enough to overturn what fucking Deljeet did with that track. To this day, I don't care what Yo-Yo Honey Singh does. I ain't, I ain't fucking with it at, at all. Deljeet only brought it back with Back to Basics. And it, 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 that album to me was basically an apology. But I used to do the same thing. I don't dance. When that track is on, I go sit down and I'm like, I, I, I despise it. Because you're right. <laughs> Have you seen that meme where they like, uh, like luck 28, wait 47 or whatever it was. And it was the little creature thing from Men in Black. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro, I'll send it to you. Off it. Because it's so true. Who the fuck knows a girl that weighs 47 kilograms? What, like, Deljeet, what, you, like, after a child, a prepubescent kid? Is that what you want? Yeah, and then I just think things like that, that we're not helping ourselves, and we, we make, it makes this whole idea of, of the, the, the beauty standards of a woman being thin, petite, you know, having a 28-inch a, a waist and, and all of that stuff. I just think it's, 
it's just not right. It, and and I think it makes you grow up thinking that you need to be that. And don't even get me started on colorism where, you know, you think you have to be fair and light skin. Like I would get told off for going on holiday and coming out with a tan. Like I went out there to get this tan. Like, can't you see? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, go on. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, oh, bro. Colorism is another thing. I don't want to make this fucking recording about me, but these are some issues that are fucking... Hey, I used to partake in it. When we were kids, my, my, my brother's slightly darker skin, right? When we were kids, we would mention it to him, not think anything of it. And then we got a little bit older and we were like, oh, whoa, <laughs> what the fuck were we doing? And then like, I think it becomes problematic when we don't question ourselves and like, don't think about where those things are rooted because you went from like words like Sundal or like Gundulma like Sarid and all that, that are like associated with more curves and curvaceous and to but the law and like all of this like shit. Yeah, I just think it, I think we'd, I think now obviously we have like our generation of people who are talking about things like this on podcasts, on social media platforms and calling out and challenging it. Um, and it's not because we're trying to be like problematic and troublesome. I think it's because we're of a, a generation where we've, uh, we're able to see and educate ourselves and and what these like social changes mean um because like as much as it was a problem from like our parents and other generations it's because they also didn't know they didn't have that understanding because they didn't challenge it like the we how we do because it's that whole thing about oh it's just what you do it's just what it is you know but I think now we're able to be a bit more woke uh, I hate using that word but it's so true because we are just like we just know a lot more and we're able to do something about it because we have like things like social media and things we have like an apparatus to be able to to put those changes in place or make people understand whereas before it would be just like I think a lot harder because people didn't have these avenues oh a hundred percent and I think there's also just even in general I think there's we're almost taking a western approach to dissecting stuff whether it's religion whether it's culture like there was a big conversation on Twitter recently about like the, using casteism in Punjabi songs and stuff. And like, I boycott Bollywood like anything. But when Put the Jaktane comes on, I'm like fucking, you know, fucking Raji Baji and all of that. So it's like, you know, you, you question yourself and you're like, actually, yeah, that is kind of fucked up, isn't it? It's all about supremacy and things like that. But going back to like your personal experiences and stuff, did was there a lot of sort of like anti-body positivity I guess like when you from from the community and also just from wider society um yeah I think a lot of it can start at home so like still to this day um I will call my mum out on things that she doesn't realize that she's saying so I remember quite clearly in the lockdown when good old uh, Boris had, had introduced ETAP to help out um me and my parents went out for the dinner and my mum was like just shocked and she was like look how thin the waitress is like as if it was a compliment and and I just was like mom that's you that's not like complimenting her by saying that she's thin and she's skinny I was like those words can be just as harmful to someone else if they heard them because you don't know someone's like journey about their about their weight or about their their body and she was like oh shut up she just was like just be quiet but I was I, I call her out on it because if, she, if someone carries on thinking that way and it's hard it's so hard to change people's minds and opinions but I think through saying it to her and my sister says things to her I think she's able to understand like 
where we come from so I, I remember growing up and and I love dressing up and and I love like putting my makeup on and choosing an outfit and all of that stuff that's personally something I love doing but, but as as my sister was growing up going to a wedding going to a function she would absolutely hate it because she would feel like the clothes didn't fit her or you know and then be compared to me or compared to our other cousins who you know everyone can just buy an outfit off the off the rack and and you know I still can't just do that like I would need to go see a tailor or need to do something appropriate and that's probably why my style is a little bit different because I make things work for myself but yeah it, it can be like those little experiences can build up this whole traumatic thing of, of your body image and 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 with things like especially to our culture like you know with western clothes it can be a lot easier because you can just go to shop and get what you want you know not always but you know it's a bit more accessible than it would be to buy like desi clothes so yeah. that's kind of some of the the things that i've troubled with i think it's an important conversation i think it goes a, a, across genders and i think it doesn't just go ju like I, I think from a male point of view i don't think it i don't think it's just a issue within our community like the sort of um body image of of like the dude like i grew up with like wwe wrestlers and shit i started weightlifting when i was 14 because i wanted to look like the rock and then like there, there was a period amrit right there was a period in my life where for six months every lunch and dinner was some weird combination of either chicken beef rice and sweet potatoes right and i look back on it now because i'm a little bit happy with how i look and like you know i'm not so obsessed with Oh, bro, yeah, my calves ain't working, bro. Like, what the hell, bro? Like, why ain't they growing? Like, girls won't find me attractive, bro, if I don't have big calves, yeah? And it's like, you kind of get to a point where you kind of question, like, you're like, oh, bro, like, you just got to be fucking happy. If you want that slice of pizza, you got to have that slice of pizza and not, like, worry about it. Yeah, like, um, what you just said there about, like, girls not finding you attractive and things like that. And that's something that, I particularly was was told a lot of and probably other brown girls listening to this are always like marriage is always a big topic that gets spoken of you know like you've got like I remember being at a function again it's always a function there's always some auntie there's always someone saying something and there was this particular auntie who went up to my mum and said is that your daughter and I was like oh yeah yeah that's my oldest and she was like oh she she she's so pretty but if she lost a bit of weight she'd be even prettier you know she'd be able to get married and my mum was like, thanks. Kind of like, it's a very awkward situation. What do you say? And then my mum told me afterwards when we got home. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? I was like, I would have marched up to that auntie and really just told her. And I remember my friend's grandma even saying to me, she was like, um, you know, just, you have to lose a little bit of weight first. And I was like, well, thanks, Bibi. But like, I, I didn't ask for your like unsolicited advice. Like, I'm, did you know that I'm quite happy in my body? Like, I love myself. And, and that's, I think that's the most important message. You should love yourself before you allow anyone else to like, love you too, because you, you shouldn't ask for validation from anybody else about yourself. I think that's so important. A hundred percent. And it, even if, it, even if yeah. you were to lose a few pounds, the last reason you would do it is to impress her cokehead son. Like, leave it alone, GT auntie, all right? Nobody's trying to marry your fucking, like, oh, bro, yeah, fucking. I, I hate that vibe. And I think it permeates. And I think we talk a lot about um, the older generation, but I think it permeates through our generation as well. And I think it is something that you consciously have to change because otherwise you just start replicating the same generational trauma, innit? It's, 
which is bollocks. Yeah, definitely. And also, I just think like the thing that you said as well about being happy with yourself. I think that's what you need to understand as well, because you, the way you look um, is is always going to change. Like we're not always going to stay youthful. We're going to get wrinkles, you know our arms are not always going to stay perfectly toned that's going to like suddenly decease at some point like it nothing's permanent so I think we need to remember that but the thing that you can be in control of is your mind your personality the way you think the way the way you are and that was something that I I didn't have like a click moment but it took me a long time and but I do remember thinking about this a lot when I was sort of growing up and when as you grow older you you know you form your thoughts more and I just remember thinking that it doesn't matter how someone looks someone could be fat uh, thin or you know spotty anything but actually the the way they are as people the way they act towards you how, how kind they are and things like that that's because of them not because of the way they look and that's probably one of the most important messages that's ever stayed with me in my head and I'm so glad that I think that way because I think that's what makes me have this confidence or have this strength to be who I am because I don't put that down on what I'm wearing like I did have to pause this uh the recording of this podcast five minutes before because I wasn't ready and I was like hang on hang on let me just sort myself out but I think if I had to like if you didn't give me that time <laughs> no we're recording now I would have just come on here with the top knot and been like yeah let's go um but <laughs> I think yeah it's just it creates like a, it's like a, your core strength just becomes that and not like fickle and you know, it doesn't become damaging because of what you look like. I think that's really important. Oh, 100%. I always think, like, I came across this quote, so I can't take a credit for it, but I can't remember who said it or where I saw it. And it was something along the lines of, like, our, like, roles as people is to facilitate the growth of another person. And now it could be it could be a case of, like, you know, somebody wants to lose weight or they want to, like, improve that. And fine, support that, facilitate it. But it's like that, sort of viewpoint shouldn't come from you you shouldn't project your viewpoint onto somebody else um and i think the world would be a better place if people just thought about that before they said it that fucking gq yeah. on tea with a coke head son like think about it bro before bro come on <laughs> um yeah this has been a fucking enlightening chat i always enjoy getting into the bigger topics uh projects wise is there anything that you've got coming out that people can check um well no to be honest with you <laughs> fuck up put you on the spot <laughs> no not definitely not i think uh we as people always constantly are looking for the next best thing you know what are we doing and i think covid has taught certainly me and i don't know about anyone else but it's taught me to kind of really pause um i am a busybody. i get anxious thinking about why i haven't finished something or what i'm going to do next like on constantly thinking about that i really am um but actually i think covid has made me realize how to how to press pause why it's so important you know and work on kind of your work on the thing the thing right now is me my family and kind of where I am in life at the moment so I'm not striving for the next kind of modeling gig because it's COVID and I ain't gone anywhere or it's not work because I'm working from home and I'm not kind of I'm okay with not um the next bit of like being in the limelight or the sh or some something like this like I actually I'm enjoying working on whatever comes my way uh, crafting it and learning to be happy 
you know I think that's that's an important message I think a lot of all of this pandemic business has taught us because we can't control some things but we can control what what's what we got and right now what I got is myself and my family so that is some beautiful message to end the podcast on. I think that is so altruistic. You don't want to plug anything, but I am going to plug your socials. So you can catch uh, Amrit on Amretto's World. Uh, I think it's across. It's the same across all of the platforms, isn't it? Yeah, everywhere is Amretto's World. And, 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 you know, whilst I've not got any projects going on or anything like that, I do constantly try and talk about very real shit happening on instagram and on my on my socials and if you just want to follow some good content and nothing that's damaging or harmful or going to make you get anxiety on your profiles follow me yeah you can follow amrit for that and if you want anxiety and shit come over to my profile so uh thank your stuff will make people laugh it's not bad <laughs> oh i don't know <laughs> the last thing I, I, I don't know let's not get into that okay right so amrit thank you so much for coming on i've had a pleasure this this was an amazing chat uh, Amretto's World and thank you again for coming on.